Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, Guilty Feminists. It's Deborah. Just before the podcast begins, I need you to know that we recorded this around the time of the Kavanaugh-Christine-Blasey-Ford case. Now, I talk about this, and as a content warning... I need you to know that I refer to the rape. Now, I obviously deal with this in a relevant and sensitive way, but I need you to know it before you start listening. Thank you. I'm a feminist, but tonight when the man at the front of this theatre, the Manchester Dance House, said <laughs> as I walked through the door and asked for the stage door, are you in the show? And some of the guilty feminist listeners who were queuing up said, yes, it's Deborah. I was very pleased they recognised me, but also wish they hadn't recognised me in that harsh lighting with no makeup, because I want them to imagine me as more beautiful and glamorous the way I appear in my carefully chosen press shots. <laughs> I don't think I look very much like I do in my carefully chosen press shots, which I had so much makeup you and beautiful look lighting. Really glam. And yeah, I didn't coming in here. I really didn't. No, seriously, I didn't have it. She did. Oh, but that's so nice. Yeah. But also, I looked in the mirror and thought I looked awful, and now that worries me, that when I think I look awful, you think I look great. 
Do you see what I mean? Like, maybe it's a metric scale, isn't it? I'm a feminist, but for years, I thought it was called the bechamel test. <laughs> Do you know what? Once... Once, there was a woman at a party and she was calling it to me, she was calling it the rectal test. <laughs> and I was like, I can't find a way to say, please don't say, it sounds like you're talking about a rectal exam. And I just thought, what am I going to do? I don't know how, I've got to, it's not a feminist act not to share that with that woman. I have to say it's not rectal, that's anal. <laughs> I have to find a way to say it as a good sister. It's like letting someone walk out of the loo with their skirt and their knickers. I couldn't do it. I just thought I couldn't... I let her go out into the world. I had to... I don't know. I just... I couldn't... I'm a feminist, but when someone was showing me round backstage here at the Manchester Dance House, they said, uh, sorry, you've been here before. You know your way around. And I said, oh, no. I only have one spatial skill, and it doesn't have a friend, to be honest. And then I thought, that's playing into a female stereotype. And then I was secretly pleased when all the other women backstage with me took a wrong turn later. (laughs) (laughs) It's true, we did. (laughs) But to be fair, we've been directed in the wrong place by a man. (laughs) To be fair. I'm a feminist, but I'm accidentally bringing up a white middle-class sexist male baby. (laughs) Um, So evil. So evil. That this week is announced, he doesn't like trees. <laughs> we were driving along, him in the back, me in the front, and I heard him going, oh, oh. <laughs> and I looked in the mirror and went, what? And he was going, oh. <laughs> and I was like, what's that? And he went, trees. <laughs> I don't like trees. <laughs> and I went... <laughs> and he went, it's not funny. <laughs> and I went, well, sorry, it's not. What have trees ever done to you? And then he flipped and went, <laughs> trees have never done anything to me. <laughs> I just don't like trees. And I said, what's wrong with trees? And he thought about it for ages and then went, the leaves. (laughs) And then he went silly. I was like, what's wrong with the leaves? And he went, sometimes the leaves pinky me and boink. (laughs) Boink, boink, leaves. Donk. It's like living with a drunk psychopath, isn't it? (laughs) It's like living with Trump. Same, same. I'm a feminist. But of all the friends' girls, I'd, <laughs> I'd most like to be Rachel, even though she's the most vacuous because she's the hottest. Also, I mean, she shaped the hairstyle of two generations. It's true. I'm a feminist, 
But every time I've been on stage and then afterwards I get tagged in a photo, I think, oh, here we go. Fucking rhombus body moving face. Pretend not to care. Like it. Click like. Pretend you don't mind. Go on. RT it. Go on. Tap the heart. Pretend you love it. Pretend you don't even care anyway. And even if you did care, you're thinking, ooh, aren't I a sex horse? But really, I'm not. Really, I'm thinking, oh, rhombus body moving face. <laughs> From the Dark House in Manchester, the spot today at the shop presents the Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis White, guest co-host Jessica Bostew, and very special guest Sharon Concan, talking about the future! This is The Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and the hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. I'm Deborah Francis-White and with me is Jessica foster and we're talking about the future! <laughs> I have got a Nando's Diet Coke here because... Uh, I had a bit of a, one of those moments where I hadn't eaten and I was fainting and someone ran around the corner and got me some Nando's, including this Diet Coke, and just teased me about it before we came on as unclassy. But I see nothing wrong with that. <laughs> just, listen, Manchester... Being called unclassy by me as well. I'm <laughs> Manchester, <laughs> just give us a cheer. If you do, vegan or otherwise, enjoy a cheeky Nando's. <laughs> See? They've got good vegan options. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I'm just saying, I say vegan or otherwise because I don't want to upset the vegans by getting people to cheer for chicken. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to open that way. I, there's also, enough time in this show clear. to Deborah upset the vegans. Had a pint of liquid chicken. That is not chicken, that's Diet Coke. That's it's a, Diet you've, Coke. I just said don't upset the vegans. That was upsetting Sorry. the vegans. You've just said liquid chicken. Look, at there are, look see, ne- that you've, so you've roused and upset the vegans. I'm nearly vegan incon- and it's made me happy. You're merely vegan. Nearly. Nearly vegan. Yeah, I'm definitely trying to be more vegan. Uh, most. Don't, well, don't laugh. I'm well, trying to be yeah. more vegan more often. More vegan more often is still better than... All oh, the no, time. I never think it's the way up. forward. I think more vegan, more often is the way forward. But oh, I, what I'm trying to do is not ruin some of my stand-up. <laughs> which is on that exact thing. I don't know what more vegan, more often is on your stand-up, so I will drop it because I'm clearly stealing your material. <laughs> well, you're just going to talk about it now and be funnier than the bit. I definitely am not, Jess. Oh, God, the vegan's walking out. No, people coming in. <laughs> Hello, welcome. Are you vegan by any chance? No. Okay. It's no. all right. Just cheer if you're vegan. See, so many more people are vegan now. It's a really good cheer if you try and be vegan sometimes. Me. See, we're together. We will get that's cheer again. Ones who try and be vegan sometimes, cheer. Okay, that's probably sixty people cheering. So that's thirty full vegans. <laughs> it's timeshare veganism. <laughs> that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to find someone else who's willing to be a vegan half the time, <laughs> and we timeshare. Perfect. Because one vegan out of every two people will save the planet. So I reckon we all go halves. Do you remember? And then we just end up with half a planet. <laughs> no, no, listen. Do you remember yeah. when Phoebe was pregnant and needed to eat meat? So Joey yeah. said, I'll take time off meat for you. <laughs> right? Remember that. And then when he was in London, he said it didn't count because he was in London. I don't remember things from friends. <laughs> I know I've been hit. I heard someone hiss. 
what someone just I heard someone say that's terrible, but I don't yeah. know what they were saying. But I don't remember. I don't know if it was they, they thought that it was Joey that was terrible for being but I but lapsing or it, Jessica it... was terrible because she doesn't know friends. Who said that's terrible? And why did you say it? No, I, I genuinely, I'm not picking on you. I genuinely, I just need, I'm curious. No, they're, not, they're scared now because they were picking on me. Oh, she I, doesn't know quotes from friends. So I'm dead to her. That's very much what I heard. But, okay, even Could though I don't you know be you... any more dead to her? <laughs> don't get it. <laughs> I do. I do. Um, what's amazing though is even though I don't know that, I've kind of channeled that scenario in my. When I was pregnant, I like. I'd gone vegetarian before and then I craved meat like a mm. maniac. But I went to France during my pregnancy where, when in France, you follow the French rules and there oh. you're allowed like bloody steaks and loads of wine. Oh. <laughs> and it was great. Does your body know it's in France though? Because like... Yeah, it did. It said, give me the only just dead cow and the loads of wine. And it just sort of, it just, yeah. yeah. It really liked it, baby really liked it. <laughs> In neutro babies are their own mystical thing. Please welcome to the stage one of my favourite stand-up comedians and very favourite people is the wonderful Jessica Foster Q. Thanks. <laughs> The future. What is the future about? If we're going to ask what the future holds, I think we also need to ask, what does it drop? Uh, I believe that the future is a, a cycle of history repeating itself, that we're even bringing stuff back from history when we knew, even the first time round, when we were doing it, that it was appalling, shameful, obscene. We're even doing that stuff again. And if you don't believe me, two words, bum bags. <laughs> There's some bum bag wearers in, aren't there? Livid. Fresh out the northern quarter and into here in your bum bags. <laughs> I've shaved up the back of my head, I'm one of you. Um, <laughs> laughing, a cruel laughter there. Um, if I'm going to talk about the future, I need to talk about stuff that's still going to be here in a few decades, don't I? So I won't be doing uh, jokes about whales, bees, or the patriarchy. <laughs> that was... <laughs> don't clap, because it, you might be clapping for the whales and the bees. That was, only, that was only a sort of partially hopeful joke, wasn't it? Um, I think the future is about hopes and dreams. They're a great couple, am I right? <laughs> Let's hope they never break up. Uh, so, don't mind if quite often hope gets to have a filthy encounter with pragmatism. Um, don't get me wrong, I love dreams, but I don't want to hurt dreams as feelings, but I get the impression dreams isn't doing their fair share of the washing up. <laughs> I think we need a bit of both. Um, what's the future about uh, technology? I've been boggled by technology. Already I'm boggled by technology. The most recent example of which is that I have the majority of my therapy over Skype very modern um, and what you're not supposed to do why a therapist is good is because they're different to other people in your life as in you're not supposed to care if they love you <laughs> or fall in love with them 
the first of those things for a comedian is very hard. Um, and if you're having the therapy over Skype, what I've discovered is it's impossible not to flirt when your computer screen is as filthy as mine. I don't know if this is going to translate for the podcast, but regularly I'm having to wipe away a sp- like a dried splash of drink or food from the screen whilst the therapist is talking, and it really looks like I'm... So, caressing her face. Also, I think the future is planty. I think the future is probably veganism. Um, yeah, yeah. I say that as someone who is not a vegan. I, I, I sort of am. I nearly am. <laughs> I can't be a complete vegan because have you tasted tofu? <laughs> None of you have, but you've all eaten it. I don't particularly stand by that, Jay. I think you can make tofu taste fit. I think that vegan food often tastes totally amazing. My issues with it are various. I think that perhaps it's fine to have a bit of flexibility in your approach to things that treats every now and again are fine. And sometimes, often, if you've ever had any kind of disordered eating, this bit isn't comedy, as you can tell, um, then you're not supposed to have, like, an absolute set of rules, really. So I think just being quite a lot vegan is all right. But what I've realised is that to real vegans, to say, well, I do a bit of veganing, it's actually really fucking offensive. Like, actual proper vegans, the best people, see car- carnivory as being morally disgusting, like, as a thing. So kind of saying to them, oh, yeah, I still dabble in that. I mean, I'm mainly like you, but I'm still a bit like that. It's like saying, oh, I'm a paedophile, but I don't fuck the kids anymore. I just wink at them. (laughs) And occasionally, if one's been really ethically sourced, (laughs) I'll pat its bum. (laughs) Okay, I don't know if that's going to make the podcast. Ultimately, listen, if you are offended by that joke, I'm not glamorising paedophilia. I'm taking the piss out of my own shitness at not being a proper vegan. It's the perfect analogy. It's hard to write down about things you believe in, and that's a bit where I've actually achieved it. So don't be offended by everything. Okay. I love the future. I think the future is exciting. I think the future is exciting because it's an idea, a possibility, an opportunity. The future can be whatever we want it to do at this point. Got it. I mean, isn't that amazing? It's unlimited. Of course, the future is amazing. The future is a plan, or as I like to call it, a list. That's it. Thank you very much. Please, welcome to the stage, Deborah Francis White! So, I've had a week, to be honest, I've had a week. I've had a week that has left me somewhat disconsolate about the future, but I'm trying to turn that view around. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to share my week with you 
and together we are going to plough, because I feel like we've all had a week in a way because of the news. I was asked to go on the radio. I was booked in about six weeks ago to talk about my book, and I was doing lots of book publicity and book press, totally, totally normal. And uh, the night before I was about to go on, the researcher rang me up because it's a show where they also talk about the news. And they said, we're going to be talking about Brett Kavanagh and Dr. Christine Blasey Ford. And I said, okay, yes. Obviously, I had lots of thoughts. And they said, and for balance, and for balance, (laughs) for balance, we're going to book a comedian who thinks that Dr. Ford is making up her whole testimony in order... Mm. Yeah. (laughs) in, In order to political point score. And he said, what do you, so what do you think of that? What do you think of that? What do you think of the idea that Christine Blasey Ford, Dr. Ford, noted psychologist, is making it all up to politically point score? And I said, well, I'll tell you what I think. I'll tell you what I think. I think that if she's doing that, that's an enormous sacrifice. Because in doing it, in coming forward, I can only think she's doing it as her civil duty because she cannot imagine a country with a man of that character as a Supreme Court judge. Because in doing it, she is rewriting the first line of her obituary to contain the name of her attacker and none of her achievements. Because nothing Dr. Ford has done or will ever do will now be known about or recognised in the same way. On top of that, I don't think you need somebody on breakfast radio denying her testimony for balance. For balance, for balance, for balance. And he said, he said, oh, well, we kind of need a Trump supporter. We don't have Trump supporters very often, so we do need a Trump supporter sometimes, and we do need a Trump supporter. I said, fine, have a Trump supporter on a day that you're talking about a trade issue. Have a Trump supporter on a day when you're talking about anything else. Do not have a Trump supporter on, on a day when you're talking about rape. Because I know, oh, I know it's, I know it's breakfast radio and you won't want us to use that word. You'll want us to use words like sexual assault. But what you're talking about is attempted rape. And what you're talking about is a woman being held down by a man while he violently attacks her and tries to penetrate her. That's what you're talking about. You do not need somebody for balance denying that ever happened. You can have someone on talking about due process. You can have someone talking on uh, about the law. You can have someone talking about the ways that the Supreme Court works, but you cannot have someone for balance talking about that. Because you and I both know that Trump is a fascist. You and I both know that. And in 10 years' time... If the world is worse for women and other marginalized people, you will look back on this day and you will realize your place in it and your part in it in the way you contributed for balance. Because the Me Too movement is like a mouse on a seesaw with an elephant. 
You don't need a second elephant on the heavy side for balance. Balance is out the window. Balance is the history of the world. Balance is the oppressive patriarchal structures we all live with. You've got that for balance. You do not need somebody denying Christine Blasey Ford's testimony for balance, denying that she was raped. And he said, well, I'll go and have a chat with my producer and tell him what you said. (laughs) The next morning, I go into the radio station. It's in London. And I'm put into a small room with the comedian, the balanced comedian. The, uh, The presenter of the show is in Manchester, so we can't really see him. So I'm just in a room with this guy, and they leave me in there with him. And he says, I've met him a couple of times before, and he just went, oh, hello, love. So I just sat on my phone and didn't chat to him. The producer came through on the headphones and said, we're ready to go, and this, 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 and we go on the radio. And the presenter says, oh, Deborah, I think you're uh, very complimentary about my work, and then says, uh, so tell us what is a guilty feminist. Tell us about your podcast. And so I do my fun bit about the podcast, and I'm a feminist, Bart, and, you know, that, that's a way of sort of exfoliating guilt, which is great, because if you keep guilt in your body, it becomes shame, and that's luggage, and sort of just an upbeat bit. And the balance comedian says, um, well, then, if shame isn't good to carry in your body, then why do you feminists talk about toxic masculinity? Isn't that shaming? And I went, I agree with you. We really do need to address how men are feeling at the moment and their emotional issues. It's important to talk to men about how they're feeling about all of these things at the moment. And I'd like to concede a point of female privilege. Say there was a reason, like, for example, climate change, why you and I had to be out in a boat in the Atlantic, um, a dinghy. And he went, I don't believe in climate change. And I said, I said, well, come on now, give yourself a fighting chance at credibility. It's so early in the show. And... um, and the presenter went, yeah, yeah, get on. it's a hypothetical example. So I said, say we're both out in the ocean in a dinghy and the dinghy starts to sink, you would be expected to get out as the man. And I don't know why, because why is your life worth less than mine? The fact is, you would be Jack and I would be Rose. <laughs> um, and he didn't know what to do because he wants to disagree with people. He's a provocateur and uh, later in the show declared himself not a provocateur but a contrarian. And he didn't know what to do. He was panicked. He was panicked by the fact that I'd made an argument that he's meant to make. And he went, uh, well, I think that's chivalrous. And I think chivalry, women and children first, is a good thing because it's old-fashioned chivalry. I said, are you prepared to die of chivalry? Um, Or something akin. And the presenter jumped in and went, "Um, so would you, if you and Deborah went for dinner later? apparently (laughs) would you would you uh pay for the dinner the presenter said to the balanced comedian he looked at me and went no I'd want you to pay because I think you're doing better in comedy than I am (laughs) and I said and I said to the presenter well yes that is correct I am Um, (laughs) 
this went on for a bit. I was trying to kind of build these bridges, make it funny and light. And then they said, right, we're going to talk about Kavanaugh. And in this tiny room, just me and him, they played Dr. Ford's testimony while he sat there rolling his eyes. Then they played what the presenter said is an equally compelling testimony from Kavanaugh. Not equally compelling in my mind. Frightening. And then they played Donald Trump mocking Dr. Ford. And the balance comedian laughed ostentatiously throughout Trump's whole mocking. Now, he'd obviously heard it before. He wasn't really laughing. I mean, there were no punchlines in it anyway. It was sort of presented as a bit of stand-up comedy, but there was no punchlines. And I was like... Why are you not? You're laughing for my benefit to mock a victim who's come forward in the eyes of the world are on her. And I was just so horrified by it. And to be fair, to give you the whole story, I was kind of staring him out during Christine Ford's testimony. <laughs> I was staring at him going. And then the presenter said, um, so balance comedian, what do you think? And I was like, why are you going to him first? He's meant to be for balance. <laughs> He's not meant to be balanced. This isn't balanced. This is his. So he said, I think she's a very good psychologist. She'll take it 35 years to remember. And then she can't remember anything. Blah, 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 blah. And basically said that she was political point scoring and it hadn't happened. And then he came to me. And what I wanted to say was, she's written the first line of her obituary, what I said to you before. And I started to say it and he shouted me down. And I said, can you just let me finish? Because I let you speak. And he, I started again and he shouted me down. And then, he, and then I said, look, I can't speak. And he went, anyway, I know who you are. You want all white people exterminated. <laughs> and I went, what? He said, I've got it here. I've got it here on my phone. I looked you up. I Googled you. I know who you are. I found this about you. You said you wanted all white people exterminated. <laughs> and I was like, what? I never said that. I never said that. And I just got so angry. I was like, I was just so like, What? Like, this is breakfast radio. This is national breakfast radio. And I'm like, if, uh, what? And I admit I got a bit high-pitched. And the presenter said, come on now, let's get back to Kavanaugh. And I said, no, we cannot get back to Kavanaugh. Someone has just said I'm genocidal. Someone has just said, oh, I'll read the tweet to you. I said, I, 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 said, I don't care. I have never said that. I've never said that. And then in the next thing, in my ear... This producer, who wasn't in the room either, who was also in a different city, went, um, guys, we've had to take you off the air because you're arguing. <laughs> and I said, I told you this would happen. I told you. And the first thing I did was I was nice. I conceded a point of female privilege. I was fun. I was being polite. I had to sit here and watch him laugh during these testimonies. And then I waited patiently for him to speak. I didn't interrupt him at all. He interrupted me twice. And then he accused me of wanting genocide to white people. And he used the word exterminate. What did you expect me to do? Not defend myself. He said, oh, I know, I'm sorry. I know, I'm sorry. And then he said, balance comedian. Balance comedian, you can't talk over Deborah. You've got to let her talk. And he went, okay. And he went, and you can't personally attack her. Oh, okay. And I said, I don't trust him. I said, it's easier if I just go. No, please don't go. Please don't go. And I was like, fine. But I just don't feel like I can really go on. And they said, well, what if we don't talk about Kavanaugh anymore? What if we talk about... I mean, they had something else playing, by the way. This wasn't just dead air. Um, <laughs> they'd cut to an expert. They said, what if we talk about Brexit? And I was like... <laughs> I was like, sure. Uh, 
because that's less contentious. But at least, like, Brexit is political. It's not about assault. So I was like, okay. We then were waiting for the news and stuff. And he read me the thing that he reckoned I'd said. And he said, you said you wanted white people exterminated. This is what it was. Uh, this is from Varsity Magazine. Thank you. This is from Varsity Magazine. In the context of a Cambridge Union debate, which was a funny piece, it was the comedy debate, I had apparently said, and this again, I don't know if I did say this, because this is just quoted in a student magazine. So, you know, these things get passed on and someone hears something and, you know, who knows what I said. But apparently, according to Varsity Magazine, an Oxford English graduate herself, Deborah, is big on emphasising her own forms of privilege, On white people, she declares, the best we can hope is that we get old and die before the rest of humanity gets sick of our shit and revolts. Now, I I don't particularly say white people there, uh, but he's taken that leap on his own. Finding an impressive amount of humour in such an absurdly nihilistic idea. So clearly I was kind of saying, I think we were talking about colonisation and stuff like that, and I was like, you know, at some point we'll die out. It was like a joke that Louis C.K. would have made before we hated him. And... So I was just like, what the fuck? And he's taken this out and he's got it prepared and he's thrown at me on the radio. At the end of the thing, we talked about Brexit. He did stick to his word and only talk to the presenter and I only talked to the presenter and he said some really horrible, nasty things. We talked about how women get misogyny on the radio at one point. You know, it could be judging an amateur baking competition. If you're a woman you'll get, and you're on the television, you'll get violent tweets. And he said, well, maybe she's a really bad judge of a cake competition. I said, does that mean she should get rape and death threats? And he was like, well, maybe. So, I mean, that was his reasoning throughout. And so in the Brexit section, I really tried to agree with him every time he spoke, because that's what he hates. He hates being agreed with. So I was like, you know, white working class people I don't listen to. And he's really pro-Brexit. He said, basically, the UKIP part of Britain is why he feels so comfortable living here. As a fucking immigrant from America... You're an immigrant, mate. You're an immigrant. I feel so comfortable here because it's so racist. You're an immigrant. You can hear it if you want. I've not been able to bring myself to listen to it, but it was horrible. And at the end, he said to me, well, that was lovely. I said, you accused me of white genocide. And he's saying, that's what you said. That's what you said. I said, evidently, I didn't say that. I'm a white person. Evidently, that was a hyperbole. I don't even remember saying it, but it doesn't seem like what I said was, it was obviously a joke. Oh, well, you said it, you said it, you said it, you said it. (laughs) Having complained that comedians weren't contrarian and cynical enough anymore. We start to walk out and he's shouting at me. And someone from the radio station grabs me and says, sorry, we can't have you fighting. (laughs) Don't fucking book him! So they said, we're going to take him out first and hold you back. Like, I'm some kind of fucking away football fan. (laughs) It's like, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. What? No one ever rang me at the end to see if I was okay. And the presenter, right at the end of our bit, said, just to let you know, we've had a quick Google search and we can't find any evidence of Deborah Francis White saying that white people should be exterminated. said that and then he went oh I don't think that went out I think the news came in over that so I said to the guy who was handling me it sounds like it didn't go out sounds like nobody retracted the fact that I believe in the extermination of white people and he went I think most people listening would have known though and I went oh well I'm sure I'm sure I'm a hundred percent sure that the white supremacists are going to agree and be reasonable and not come at me on Twitter I'm sure that's just how things work. They're all going to go. I don't think she really would have said that, though. She seemed nice. Um, So I just felt 
really just desperate. And at the same time, I'd been part of... Do you know the book Feminists Don't Wear Pink and Other Lies? It's just come out this week. And it's, it's, it's aimed at teenage girls. It's a collection of essays by contemporary women sort of making feminism accessible. And it was Scarlett Curtis's brainchild. And she basically wanted teenage girls to think, oh, no, I could be a feminist. And no, 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 you know. And it's just lots and lots of thoughts from lots and lots of different women and sort of what she would have wanted to know when she was 15, what she wished she'd been told. All of the profits are going to Girl Up, the UN charity for girls. And she and Penguin Random House worked for a long time with Topshop to get a pop-up shop in Topshop because she said, I want young teenage girls who may never have thought about feminism and I want to find them in their natural habitat. And were they sort of looking for, you know, I don't know what young girls wear now. Sorry? Skinny jeans. Is it still skinny jeans? I don't feel it. It couldn't be still. Something Bum bags, thank you. Were they looking for tune-encrusted bum bags? And they'll be like, oh, what's this? And there's also merch, there's like these necklaces and stuff like that, just to sort of, you know, get that conversation going in the right place rather than sort of having it in art centres where the very people she wants to get might not be there. What happened is they'd been up all night putting up the pop-up shop, like till, literally till like five o'clock in the morning or something, making it all beautiful. Now, I don't know if you know Philip Green. He runs Topshop, but he is... Yeah, he's not, he's not a good man and it doesn't pay his tax and there's lots of stories about him. Obviously, that is not to be tweeted because he's very litigious. But Philip Green... Philip Green, you're not in, are you? No. Um, it's the kind of show you would come to. Uh, so Philip Green goes into Topshop, his own shop, to be fair. He... <laughs> He looks around and he sees this and he goes, what's this? I haven't been consulted on this. Now, obviously, there's been months of sign-ups. Everyone at Topshop signed it off. He goes, what's this? I don't want this here. I don't want feminism here. Tells the publisher to go for a walk. And this is true. Rips it out with his own hands. He spends an hour. Doesn't get other people to... Rips it out with his own hands. Like the patriarchy manifest. Like the incredible hulk of the patriarchy. Can you imagine? And, you know, I was doing an event that night for the Feminists Don't Wear Pink, and I was just so, just like, I couldn't actually believe it. I felt genuinely devastated by it. That night, I just thought, it looked increasingly likely Kavanaugh was going to be nominated for the Supreme Court anyway. And I went to my friend's play, and it was about Victorian female boxers, and a lot of them were doing it for, it was a way of getting independence. Um, It was a little bit like... You know, now there's kind of glow and, like, there's a feeling in the air of women rising up, and sometimes that's manifest physically. And so this play was all about that, and I watched it, but as I watched it, it felt like they were fighting all the same things, and I just started to kind of erupt, and I just started to cry. Because I was like, what are we doing? These women, it was in London in the play, and I was like, women have been here having these same fights for hundreds of years, even thousands of years. Like, what are we doing? Are we going to win this? And when my friend came out, Jessica Regan, and she said, what do you think of play? I said, oh, it's brilliant. I really liked it a lot. I thought you were really good with the punching. It was good. The corsets were good. I loved it. And she said, what's wrong? And I went, I just don't know if we're going to win, Jess. And I started crying on the street at the front of the Southwark Playhouse. And she went, no, but I'm not my character. She said, don't forget, our characters could be put into a mental institution because their husbands just said, I don't want her here. I've decided she's insane because she's boxing. That's enough evidence. And we could be locked up forever. Our children could have been taken away without our permission. This is all before women had the vote. We had absolutely no rights at all. And look how far we've come. If the women in the play could see where we were now, they would think this was a miracle land. And you have to look back to feel that the next 100 years can be different. 
And I went, you're right, you're right. Everything in the play, although the feelings were the same and the words were the same, the issues, it has moved on, it has moved on. And even though Kavanaugh is going to be a Supreme Court judge and he is going to try and overturn Roe versus Wade and take away rights from women's own bodies in a spectacular and ostentatious example of his feelings about women and where he and his party run by Biff Tannen from Back to the Future... (laughs) women's place even though even though even though even though even though maybe we are rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic but at least maybe we'll get some vulnerable people a better seat and there is hope there is hope it, it is worth fighting, because tonight, for the first time, there is a female doctor on our screens. <laughs> Kanye, or Ye, as we've got to now call him, has just deleted his account. And we are here. We are here tonight. We are here tonight, and I do believe that the decent people of America will come out and vote. And we will, together in this country, rally, and we will continue to fight and leave the House and fight this devastating need for balance, which is really just horrifying bullying. We will fight it. We will write in. We will stand in public squares. We will come out, we will blog, we will YouTube, we will podcast. And the next hundred years will be better. Thank you so much. Hello, Guilty Feminists. It's Deborah Francis-White here, just letting you know that this Wednesday, the 14th of August, I am going to be in conversation with Mae Martin at the National Theatre at 7.30pm. We are going to be talking about sexuality. We're going to be talking about identity. We're going to be talking about Mae Martin's new book, and we're going to be talking about her new Netflix show and all of the great, juicy, crunchy themes therein. Mae and I are both going to be signing copies of our books, so come along Say hi, get your book signed, get a selfie. It will be loads of fun. Go to nationaltheatre.org.uk for tickets. Sunday, 24th of August, it's the Secret Policeman's Tour at the Edinburgh Playhouse. That's right, the Guilty Feminist and Amnesty International have come together to resurrect this incredibly legendary comedy brand. Our show on the 24th of August will feature me hosting Rachel Paris, Nish Kumar, Phoebe Robinson from Two Dope Queens, what? Sindhu V, Desiree Birch, Holly McNish, Rosie Jones, Steve Alley, Jessica Foster Sophie Duker, with music from Jess Robinson and Grace Petrie. And what's more, if you like Derry Girls, well, Siobhan McSweeney, Saoirse Monica Jackson and Louisa Harlan will be there doing a sketch. Oh my God, it's too much. Go 
to atgtickets.com. It's worth coming up to Edinburgh just for that show, I reckon. But while you're up there, why not catch the solo hours of so many wonderful Guilty Feminist alumni? So many brilliant women are up there doing their shows this year. Go to guiltyfeminist.com and check out where they all are. Now we've got a very exciting announcement. We're doing a crossover season. That's right. We're mashing up the Guilty Feminist with some other podcasts. We're doing on August 30th. No such thing as a Guilty Feminist. That's no such thing as a fish. And us mashed up. We're mashing up with Hoovering in The Hungry Feminist. On August 31st, we're doing All Killer, No Feminism. And Richard Herring's Leicester Square Theatre podcast known as Rulahistapa Guffa. On the 1st of September, we're doing The Feminist Bugle and Drunk Guilty Feminist Solving Crime. All of these are at King's Place in London and you can go to kingsplace.co.uk for tickets. I'm sorry to say some shows have already sold out, but there are still tickets for others. But get in now before they all go. Global Pillage is back. That's right. It's at the London Podcast Festival at King's Place on Sunday, the 8th of September at 4.30pm. Go to kingsplace.co.uk for tickets for our very own diversity-based comedy panel show. Also, my book has got a brand new cover and two new interviews with Hannah Gadsby and Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Get it now. You can have it in paperback, e-back or audio. Let me read it to you like I'm just doing a podcast, except there's nine hours of content extra for your commute. And now remember, we did that episode where Ashling B talked about her show This Way Up and the themes of loneliness. Well, it's out if you're on the UK and Channel 4 weekly, or you can go to all four and binge it all. I just did that. I have to say it was like a masterclass of nuanced, devastating hilarity. One of the best shows I've ever seen. Episode four is genuinely one of the best half hours I've ever seen on television. Go and watch it right now. Here's a sneaky peek to whet your appetite. You never told me there was a man on the go. Oh, mummy. Well, mummy, Richard is Anya's elderly lover. Oh, elderly so, lover. He's the same age as Shona. Do you think he might want to go on the mother too? Don't miss Ashling B's brand new comedy, This Way Up, on Channel 4. Stream the full series now on all four. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Oh. Today's guest... Uh, has written a book called Why Women Are the Future of Islam. She 
has briefly done a Guilty Feminist panel, but we just didn't have enough time with her. We needed to give her an episode of her own. She is Denmark's first female imam. Her mosque is run by two female imams, but it is for everybody, although on Friday there's prayers just for women. She is also, the, in a secular way, the founder and leader of the Exit Circle, which is the first NGO to put a focus on emotional abuse, mental violence, and negative social control. She runs self-help groups where women can share their life stories and is a cognitive psychotherapist and sociologist of religion. Both her secular work, her NGO work, and her mosque are challenging patriarchal structures. She is also an activist on Muslim issues. Please make an enormous guilty feminist woohooing noise and welcome to the stage the wonderful Sharon Kankan. Sorry, it's because I told Deborah, among Muslims, uh, we do believe that only God, Allah, deserves to be worshipped. So when I speak, please do not clap. Oh, it's a joke. Oh. <laughs> it's a joke. You can do it. Oh, I was like, oh shit, they're not going to like this. That's why they come. They come for the applauding and the cheering. That was good. That and the was worship. Good. Actually, among some Islamists, they do not do the clapping. They say, takbir, Allahu Akbar, it means God is great. That could be an alternative. So if you'd like to say that instead, that's fine too. Yeah. Is that the equivalent of when you're doing a bit of stand-up and instead of laughing, the audience go, very funny. <laughs> very funny, well done. Because I don't mind, I like that. You're from Denmark, and that's the kind of place where they do do that. If you're yeah. in Scandinavia, and they do say... You've got a whole bit on that, haven't I've you? I've got a whole bit. In yeah. Switzerland, I had a man say, Great combination of writing and performance. <laughs> that episode's not out yet, but it is one of the most hysterical things I've ever heard. Wait, it is coming out. So, Shireen, your dad was Syrian and moved to Denmark, is that correct? Yes, my father is a political refugee from Syria. He was imprisoned under Hafez al-Assad's torture regime, and then he came to Denmark. And my mother is a Finnish immigrant, and they met in Denmark and actually married after one month. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. And you were raised in Islam, and you are now Denmark's first female imam. Actually, uh, my mother is a Christian, and my father is a Muslim. And they're both believers. So I had the choice to choose my religion. And I chose to become a Muslim when I was around 19. Right, okay. Wow. Don't applaud her, she said. She <laughs> <laughs> doesn't like it. And actually in my childhood house, we celebrated Eid. Uh, we fasted. We went to the church with my mother. Because both my parents are spiritual in their approach to religions. So in our family, religion was never a problem. I know from living with Steve Alley, who we have these conversations, he said to me, if you're Muslim, you can marry somebody of the book, which means somebody Jewish or Christian, because you're using the same Abrahamic text. But you've told me today on the train that that's only for men. Men can marry within the book, but women, usually it's said that they can only marry within Islam. You, but what are you doing about that? 
actually, uh, recently, uh, we have developed nine theses of Muslim reform based on Islamic principles of justice. And one of the theses is about women's right to divorce. Unfortunately, Muslim women all around the world do not have the basic right to divorce within Islam. Of course, when you live in Europe or elsewhere, you can divorce legally according to Danish law, Swedish, and European law. But some women are stuck in psychological religious marriages because if the husband refuses to divorce the woman, she cannot get her divorce. It's very difficult for her. So in the Maryam Mosque, which is the mosque that we founded two years ago in Denmark with female imams, we have constructed a new Islamic marriage contract that gives Muslim women the right to divorce. Polygamy is not an option. If mental or physical violence occur, the marriage is annulled. So these are some of the things that we have done. And we also conduct uh, Islamic divorces to women who cannot find, uh, have the divorce anywhere else. Yeah. Getting the feeling that very rightly they're going to want to applaud quite often, and if it helps you, I'll just sort of take it as mine. <laughs> but the problem is that we have to find ways to standardize. Because of this, next year we're planning a conference where we're going to invite all the existing female imams around the world and leading Muslim scholars, also a female rabbis, female priests, and we're going to introduce these nine theses of reform in order to have everyone sign it, discuss it, and find ways to uh, standardize it all over the world. Um, wow. Is there anywhere that's... I mean, it's amazing. Yeah, sorry. Yes, sorry. Feel free to approach. And um, what sort of numbers are we talking in terms of... Uh, is there anywhere that, where there are anywhere near 50-50 female imams? Actually, female imams is not a new phenomenon. There are female imams in China since the 1820, in US, in Canada, in Germany, in the UK, you have female imams. So it's not a new phenomenon yeah. historically. And also, if we go back to the time of the Prophet uh, Muhammad in Medina in 600, there were at least three women who led the prayer for other women who served as female imams. It was Aisha, Umm Salama. They led the prayer in the house mosque of the Prophet himself. That was the first house mosque in the Islamic civilization. There's also a very famous story where the Prophet asks a woman named Umwaraka to lead the prayer for her household. What happened? How come that Muslims and non-Muslims today deny women the basic right as serving as female imams? What happened was that after the Prophet died in 632, we had these four caliphs, and under the second uh, caliph, that was Omar's caliphate, uh, he forbade women to lead the prayer, to serve as female imams. So when Muslims in 2018 deny women the basic right to serve as female imams, to give the khutbah, uh, lead the sermon, lead the prayer, uh, conduct marriages, uh, divorces, etc. They are actually following in the footsteps of Omar, the second caliph, who was very discriminatory against women, and they are not following in the footsteps of the prophet that they claim to love. So I think it's a matter of ignorance, or uh, people have, you know, there are stories that are left untold, and we are trying to go back to the roots and to reread the Quran with a focus on gender equality. Unwrite the patriarchy, basically. Mm. Yes.
It's weird that you say that, Shireen, because I have exactly the same feeling about St. Paul, because he didn't meet Jesus, and Jesus was all about love God and love your neighbour, and that's it. And he never, ever said there was anything wrong with... Someone's laughing because you missed out the carpentry. (laughs) There is actually one verse where Jesus, he says, I have not come to spread peace. I have come with the sword. Mm. So this is actually called the sword verse, but we rarely hear about it. And if we hear about it, we are clever enough to know that Christians read this in a metaphorical manner. So mm-hmm. the sword is like, it's the sword that goes everything because Jesus, he proclaimed a new religion, which was extremely difficult to follow because you could not even think bad things. Mm-hmm. So it was a way to intensify a Judaism. Those things, And yeah. to reach a higher level. But my point is mm-hmm. that we have Muslims and non-Muslims who are reading the Quran and who are reading the Quran with a focus on six specific verses that are being interpreted discriminatory against women, but you could also reread them differently. And this is some of the things that we do. So you've brought in, in your mosque, the right to divorce, and you're trying to bring that in more widely. And are you yourself married? I just divorced. I'm the mother of four children, and I divorced uh, recently. Was that to have a go at trying out the new... (laughs) Honey, I love you, Did you you, divorce yourself? (laughs) Actually, um, yeah, it happened very recently, so it's a little bit difficult for me to speak about it. I haven't spoken about it publicly yet, but I can say that there are a lot of men out there, and fathers, and mothers, and many people, they really want the revolution, and they want changes, but they just don't want their wife or their daughter to be in charge of these changes or of the revolution. So this is actually the reason why I'm divorced. So your rereading of the Quran with the focus on gender equality, could you give us an example of that, of something that has been read one way that you can read another way? Yes, uh, as I said, uh, the Quran consists of more than 6,000 verses, and there are six verses that could be interpreted as discriminatory against women. There is a specific verse where it is stated that the man is above the woman. And <laughs> but the term kawamuna has many different meanings in Arabic. So you could also translate the word kawamuna with the man encourage the woman or supports the woman. And I like which, that one. We'll go with that one. Uh, yes, be, we go with that if one. If the man is above the woman, could it be that the woman's just ripped and just <laughs> holding the man up? <laughs> And there are other verses as well. There are verses about inheritance and that men inherit more than women because when this verse was revealed, men at that time in that patriarchal society were obligated to serve the woman and to uh, make sure of her household and everything. But today things are very differently. 
women are economically independent. So that verse was not about gender, it was about responsibility. Mm. But today things are differently. So We have a similar thing here because we've all watched Downton Abbey and we know that inheritance <laughs> is an issue. Women couldn't inherit property here. Exactly. If you, have you seen Downton Abbey? Uh, no. I'm going to send you the box set. Okay. <laughs> But my point, is that, <laughs> my point is that we have to reread the Quran according to our times and our societies. And this is exactly what Jews and Christians are doing as well. So the same goes for Muslims. So you are also fighting growing anti-Islamic rhetoric and propaganda as well as anti-Semitism. Yes, I think just by establishing a mosque with female imams... We are disseminating new narratives on Islam. We have female imams who gives the sermon. And in every single sermon, we have a specific focus on gender equality. So we are rereading the Quran. We are introducing all the stories that are left untold of all the great female leaders throughout the Islamic history. I think it's difficult for Islamophobes to hold on to a narrative that Muslim women are suppressed when they can see Muslim women taking the lead mm -hmm. and challenging the patriarchate. I have a very interesting story concerning mm -hmm. this. Uh, I have four children, two boys and two girls. The boys are nine and ten, and the girls are seven and fourteen. The boys, they play chess every evening. They love to play chess. And I asked them recently, do you know what the word checkmate, where it descends from? And they said no. And I told them that it descends from the word Sheikh Mat, the Arabic Sheikh Mat, or the Persian Shah Mat. In Danish, it's called Skak Mat. And the Sheikh, it's the leader, it's the king. And the Mat in Arabic, it means dead. So my daughter, Aisha, who's 14 years old, she said, Be aware, little boys, the king is dead. Long live the female imams. <laughs> That is lovely. And also, can I just say, as if you weren't amazing enough, it's so cool that your kids play chess at night. <laughs> I thought that. that. So cool. I, I, I don't know how to play chess. But no, yeah, but you've well, got I don't that mean kind that. of I mean, house you've got where that. they're not no, on no an like, iPad. It's not all yeah. like PJ Masks and Fortnite. <laughs> I did think, God, that's a that's different really thing. I did think, well oh, just imagine children. a kind of intellectual house where just <laughs> nine and ten-year-olds are just playing chess in the evening while their mother explains to them the root of the word <laughs> in Arabic. And the seven-year-old daughter throws in a little feminist quip on her way to bed. <laughs> just... <laughs> My son doesn't even like trees. <laughs> Tell us about Sufism, or perhaps tell us what your seven-year-old would say about it, if yeah. she were here. <laughs> Last time you were here, you talked a little bit about it, and it sounded very beautiful, and I wanted to know more about it. Yes, uh, Sufism is the spiritual path within Islam. You can compare it a little bit to mysticism within Christianity. Sufism is when you have a focus on the inner dimensions in Islam. So we have Sharia, mm -hmm. the outer law, the five pillars... And then you have the faith articles, and then you have Sufism, which is their inner dimension, the spiritual higher dimension. And Sufism is not a new religion. It's not a new direction in Islam. You can be a Sunni, Shia, Ahmadi, Alawi, and be on the Sufi path. 
So when a person has a very spiritual approach to Islam or to the interpretation, you would say that he or she is on the Sufi path. But the Sufism also became institutionalized. So around the 11th century, Sufism was institutionalized through different Sufi orders. The, actually, the woman who laid the fundament for Sufism died in 801. Rumi is also one of the great Sufi scholars. I think you might know him, Rumi. Rumi yes. the poet, yes. I've seen him on Instagram. He's great. <laughs> But the Rabia Adawiya, who died in 801, she said, I carry a lamp with fire in one hand and a bottle with water in my other hand. With these two things, I shall set fire to heaven and turn off hellfire so that the travelers towards God can see the true light. And then she said, God, Allah, if I worship you because I long for paradise, close the gates of paradise in front of me. And Allah, if I worship you because I fear hellfire, let me burn in hellfire. But God, Allah, if I worship you because I long for your mercy, may your mercy be upon me. So she takes the ultimate pair of opposition created by believers, heaven and hell, and then she deconstructs it. So the way I interpret her is that we people, we have to find ways to deconstruct all the manipulated dichotomies that we have uh, made up. Dichotomies between East and West, Christians and Muslims, Jews and Muslims, being a true believer and a secularist or uh, Islam in the West. These are manipulated dichotomies. You can be a faithful believer and a secularist at the same time if you define secularism as a dialogue between religion and politics and not as non-religiosity. You can combine being a faithful Muslim and living in the West. It's not um, impossible. I think it's amazing. Mm. Traditionally, do Muslim women have a right to interfaith marriage? We've talked about the people of the book. You're fighting for that in your religion if i wanted to marry a muslim man or i was muslim and i wanted to marry a jewish man or a christian man would you marry me <laughs> to, that's a very roundabout proposal him. yes and, and i think and it wouldn't be difficult for you no i mean most Hello? most imams would <laughs> Most imams would. Yeah, it is stated in the Quran that a Muslim man can marry a Jew or a Christian or people from the book. So that's not very complicated. Even though that many imams today do not recommend it, they still have to do it. Right. Because it's obvious it's stated. Right. But it is not So they stated. might resent it a bit, but yes. do it with a bad grace. Yes. Just slightly grumpily marry you, but yes. they have to do it. They have in to. In the same way that when you're in England, they have to accept Scottish notes. <laughs> a lot like that. But it is not stated clearly that a Muslim woman can marry uh, non-Muslims. And it is not stated that she can't. So we, in the Maria Mosque, we use that as our legitimacy when we conduct interfaith marriages. And it's actually one of the most acute dilemmas of our time among the youth, because we live in Europe. I have two daughters. What are the chances of my two daughters falling in love with a non-Muslim? It's quite huge because we live in Europe. And then my ex-husband, who is a wonderful father, 
he would say that it's never going to happen, Shirin, because I have raised my children well, so they will not even think about falling in love with a non-Muslim. And actually, you will find this view also among Christians and Jews and people who have a more dogmatic approach to religion, or they can't even see that they're discriminating because we have normalized these uh, discriminating structures for so long. But of course it will happen and it is happening. And we have a lot of young people who comes to the mosque and they are in a huge dilemma because they cannot marry a non-Muslim unless he converts to Islam if they want a religious Islamic marriage. Of course they can marry easily according to Danish law. So we do interfaith marriages and we have couples coming from Norway, Sweden, France, even UK to be married in the Maria Mosque. Oh, wow. that's really lovely. So that you're able to do that. And can you tell us about the secular work you do with the Exit yes. Circle? I founded the Exit Circle in 2014. It's Denmark's first self-help groups for girls and women, boys and men, who are subjected to mental violence, emotional abuse, and negative social control. Emotional abuse, psychological violence, is a plague. It exists in any culture, religion, environment. And... Emotional abuse or psychological violence is when you are being criticized, isolated, if people yell at you, but it could also be on a very subtle level where you don't know what is happening. Someone is controlling you or you have to live up to certain standards or expectations. What makes something psychological violence is when it goes on repeatedly. So if you are being isolated or violated verbally, or you are not allowed to see your family or your friends, or you are told how to dress or how to speak, or etc. When it happens systematically, you are subjected to psychological violence. And in the Exit Circle, we have established these selfer groups where people come. We have youth groups and adult groups, and they share their life stories, and they get cognitive tools in order to tackle the psychological violence. A lot of people, they don't know what is happening to them. Some of them are in the middle of the violent relationship. Some of them are on the other side, but they are totally broken down. Their identity has been broken down, so they need to rebuild themselves. So we have people coming who are at all stages. This country is one of the first to recognize that mental violence and emotional violence is abusive. Is you have criminalized properly, it yes, by law. It, we yeah. are in the process now of criminalizing psychological violence. It's a really important thing. And you're the only NGO that's doing that. No, there are a lot of NGOs who are working with violence, but it was the first NGO to put a specific focus on psychological abuse. Right. And uh, on the sexual violence. Of course, if you're subjected to physical violence, you're always subjected to mental violence. Right. But you could be subjected to mental violence without being subjected to physical violence, mm. economical violence, or sexual violence. So we wanted to put a focus on that specifically. That's wonderful. And if we could get a link to Exit Circle, um, then we can put it in the show notes. Thank you. And also, everyone should buy your book. Could you just say the name of your book? Uh, the book is called The Women Are the Future of Islam. It's about Islamic feminism. It's about Islamic activism. And I take you to a journey on how to change the patriarchal structures. I think that we people sometimes go on believing that it's impossible to change a structure because it has been normalized for decades. But I found out that 
if you combine knowledge and activism on the ground, it is actually possible for a small group of people to change status quo. When I uh, led the first Friday prayer in 2016, I would never like imagine myself being a female imam leading the prayer in a mosque. It was really a historical day. And I remember I was in my house. I was putting on this galabiyah that I'm wearing today. It's a Syrian dress that my father gave me from Syria. I converted it into an imam dress. So I was uh, getting myself ready, putting on my scarf, and my four children were watching me. And Halima, the youngest one, her friend was visiting our house. She was five years old at that time, Halima, and her friend was whispering in her ears, what is an imam? What is an imam? And Halima, she looked at me like with very proud eyes, and then she said, don't you know? An imam is a woman who's doing great things. So, everyone who's interested to hear more, please do get Shireen's book. Uh, It's available online and in bookshops. And is there anywhere else we can see or hear you speak or anything else you would like to plug or tell us about? Uh, there's a documentarist called Marie Iskogo who made a documentary about the mosque. She has been following us for the last three years. So it will come out late this year. And I think it will be shown at the Sundance Festival. Oh, wicked. Oh, yes. That's great. Fantastic. Hey. Do you know what that's going to be called? Uh, the working title now is Femi Mam, but I don't know if they will change the name. A brother of mine, he said uh, it's like a commercial for... Uh, what do you call it? Tampon or? Yeah, yeah, I couldn't say it. <laughs> yeah. Femimam keeps you fresh <laughs> when others let you down. Um, whatever they come up with the title, uh, please let us know when it's out and we can direct everyone and mention it to him so that people can go and see it. Hopefully it'll be streaming soon as well. Um, Jess, have you got anything to tell us about? I'd like you all please to listen to my podcast. It's called Hoovering and it's about eating. <laughs> I will do that. Charity of the week. Before we go to the thing, there's a charity this week, which I remembered. Who's who's charity of the week? It's every month. Um, So my name's Millie. I'm a trustee. Thank you. And so every month there's a Manchester-based charity and we make packs of menstrual products for people who can't afford them in Manchester and Greater Manchester. So our packs include sanitary items and a chocolate bar and they get distributed to food banks, shelters, clinics and other services for people experiencing poverty. Nice. Although we have recently doubled our reach, the demand is much greater than we can provide for, so we really need your donations. So you can donate to us at everymonthcampaign.org or follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook every month MCR or we're collecting in the lobby on your way out so just drop us some money thank you if you're listening at home if you're listening at home please donate to the website if you're here tonight you've paid for your ticket there's no obligation but if you can afford to give something on the way out we'd really appreciate it and is there anything else you just need to say or get off your chest or something you felt you didn't say that you would because you've come all this way again Is there anything you'd like to say before we finish? I would just like to say that it is possible to change the patriarchal structures. And I do believe that activism on the ground is an essential thing if we want to change status quo.
You have been listening to The Guilty Premonist with me, Deborah Francis White, guest co-host Jess Foster Q, and our very special guest, Shireen Kankan. The recording engineer was Chris Sharp, the music was by Mark Hodge, the producer was Tom Zielinski for The Spontaneity Shop. Thanks to Michael at Perfect Strangers and everyone at The Dance House, as well as all of you for listening. For more information about this and other episodes, visit guiltyfeminist.com. Oh, that's I know we shouldn't, and I've brought my own reusable bottle, actually. Oh, have you? But for use, some whale that... death. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I, what I didn't know is that I was bringing you out a trick one. It doesn't sound... Up... <laughs> yeah. That's unusable. Like already drunk my wine. That's unusable. Hello. Oh, I have got a Nando's Diet Coke here, because... Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.